If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6, and we will start in the 25th verse, Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing a series called The Kingdom, and we're looking at a sermon called The Sermon on the Mount, which focuses on being and living as a kingdom citizen. And what does it mean to be a kingdom citizen? And what Jesus says in the three chapters of the book of Matthew, he gives us uh, really a great um, understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ and then to live for Christ. As he talks about uh, the character of being a, a kingdom citizen, when he talked about in the Beatitudes, and then he talked about the influence that we're to have as salt and light. And then we talked a lot in chapter 5 about the conduct, that, that superior righteousness that we're to have as, as believers. And then we went on in, in chapter uh, 6 and began to look at our motives that we had to make sure that we had the pure motives and, and how we worshiped and how we, in our giving and in our fasting. And, and then last week, we, we looked at at really what we to do with our focus in life. Were we going to put our focus on possessions or were, were we going to put our focus on the things of God? And then he moves into a section where he talks about anxiety. And he talks about it a good bit just in these verses, 24, uh, 20, 25 through 34. And um, as he talks about anxiety, this is something that 2,000 years ago, sitting uh, on a hillside speaking to first century uh, believers is something that will resonate with us today because we live in a high anxiety culture. We live in the, such a stressful culture that the top retail prescription drugs are for high blood pressure and for ulcers. We're overloaded, we're overextended, we're overworked, and at times we're overwhelmed. At times people will take pills to help us to get to sleep, pills to get us going, and pills to slow us down. Our world seems more dangerous than ever before because we're connected to world events more than ever. You see, atrocities that took place 10 years ago that we were never, that were never publicized are now on a viral video within minutes after it happened. And so all of a sudden, just picking up your phone or an iPad or a computer screen, you're seeing something that happened maybe five, ten minutes ago and it's gone viral and it's these atrocities that are taking place that it just causes fear and anxiety within you. And what it happens is that little safe cocoon that many of us thought we lived in is now being replaced with fear and anxiety. Business people worry about closing a deal. Mothers worry about everything from taking their eyes off their child when it's at the playground to what their children's future will be like. High school students, college students, they worry about exams or they worry about interviews or getting into grad school or dates or money and all of these things together. And Alabama fans worry about the playoffs and Auburn fans worry, will you even get to a bowl? You know, I mean, every, everybody has got some kind of, of worries on there. And then there's fear mongers that fill the airs with imminent gloom and doom predictions. And, uh, and whether you go online or you read a paper, uh, something is some kind of gloom and doom. And there's some, uh, some terror over here and a terror over there. And all of this adds up and you just walk through your whole day feeling real anxious. Okay? But today we've had something that's been added to our anxiety and it's called social media. And social media has really taken us up to a whole new level of anxiety. There is this thing, FOMO, F-O-M-O, the fear of missing out. And it's a real fear. And it's a fear, especially to talk about teenagers, but I think it probably even goes beyond that. That fear of missing out. 
And it's the pressure to be available 24-7 and the perceived necessity of responding to post or text immediately. And this can increase anxiety. I don't want to miss anything. So if I don't want to miss anything, I've got to sleep with my phone right here. I've got to always have it with me. I need to respond to something, need to answer something, need to be ready to receive something. And I'm on call 24-7. And it just begins to get me anxious over here. You see, we are more reachable and we're plugged in more than ever, but it comes with a price of feelings of anxiety about missing out on something. There was a research team in the University of Glasgow and they found that teenagers who were extremely active and also emotionally invested in their digital lives reported worse sleep quality, lower self-esteem, in higher instances of anxiety and depression. When they compared it to their peers who really could care less or spent very little time on social media sites like Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. They said, but those who just are immersed in this digital life, it says there's a greater anxiety, there's a lower self-esteem, and there's a greater bit of depression. And then... There is the pressure of looking good on the internet. You see, I've talked about this before, and it's funny because um, it was a number of years ago when I talked about the Christmas letters that you get. And we used to laugh at our house when we would get the Christmas letter. Y'all know what the Christmas letter is, don't you? It's when your friend sends you the letter of everything that they did that year. And, And when they send the letter and you get it to your house, you feel like that your life is worth nothing. I mean, it is unbelievable. None of their children ever made a B. Uh, it, it was just amazing. And every coach said that their child was the greatest athlete that they'd ever seen. And oh, by the way, did we show you the pictures from our latest around the world trip? Oh, yes. And, uh, and then my husband, can you believe he got four promotions in one year? It's unreal. And then we open up the letter and Janice and I look at each other and say, we are worms. I mean, we, yeah, we're terrible parents. I'm a horrible provider and I'm just so sorry. And you get those letters and, you know, it just got to be sick. It was like, I, we'd do it this way. I'd open it with this hand and go, with that hand. I'm like, oh, give me a break. And so ever since I've preached that, nobody sends me a Christmas letter. Have you noticed <laughs> It's great. Thank you all. Uh, but now you don't have to because you've got it on your Facebook site. And so when you go on social media, then all of a sudden, social media is like a 24-7 Christmas letter. And, and as you look through there, everybody's full of filters so that you can show you just the best picture of you. And everything looks good and every sounds good and you appear to have the best life ever. But you see, what is portrayed is not real. But however, what happens is when you go to their sites or you receive their Instagram, all you see is this perfect look and this perfect life. And then you get to get, you begin to get anxious over your life and over your look. Oh my goodness, I can't believe she looks that good. And I look in the mirror and I go, oh, I don't even look that good. And you begin to feel bad about yourself. But that's not real. They filtered out all the bad stuff and all they do is show the good stuff and some of the good stuff is trumped up. And this is not just for teenagers. I read a great article that I'm going to share with you that was written by John Acuff. John Acuff uh, used to work with Dave Ramsey. Uh, He's an author and uh, he's a blogger, and he wrote an article, How to Look Good on the Internet. He says, last Wednesday, my wife and I took our daughters to the new American Girl doll store in Nashville, okay? 
And he says, <clears throat> while we were in the store, I took a photo of my daughters and was going to post it on Instagram. I was planning to caption it with this. How do you balance business travel and home life? You take your kids to the American Girl doll store at 10.45 a.m. on a Wednesday. This sounds great, doesn't it? It looks good. Yeah, that's a true idea. I've learned in the last two years that part of the key to travel is that when you're home, you need to really be home. I need to take time during the week to be present with my family. Morning daddy-daughter dates, early afternoon adventures, summer Fridays when I stop working early help offset the days I travel. It helps with parenting and it helps with marriage too. <clears throat> right before I posted the photo, I asked myself in the middle of the mall, why am I really doing this? I wasn't posting the photo to help other business travelers with an idea that worked for me. I wasn't posting a photo to share a fun family moment. I wasn't posting the photo so that years later I could dig back to digital archives and remember that time at the store. I was posting that photo because I wanted strangers to think that I was a good dad. I was posting that photo because I was worried that strangers thought that I traveled all the time and I was a bad dad. I might not have vocalized it, but that was really what was going on in my head. And this is what it was. I bet some people think I'm never home. I post photos of my travels, but not a lot of my home life, so it probably feels out of balance. If I share this photo of the American Girl doll store, maybe people will think I'm a good dad. Are you with me? That thought in itself is ridiculous. But here's where it gets super stupid. (laughs) I was ignoring my kids to write a caption for a photo I was sharing in order to convince people I was a good dad. In summary, I was being a bad dad in real life in order to look like a good dad on social media. Hitting pause before I hit publish gave me a second to realize a few things. Number one, no one online has ever said I'm a bad dad. Number two, even if strangers online said I was a bad dad, who cares? They don't really know me. And number three, I love this. Sometimes I miss moments in my attempt to document them. That third one is a bit of an epidemic right now. And the reason is that a significant shift happened in social media a few years ago. We used to use social media to document moments we experienced. Now we use it to create moments so that we can document them. We stage our lives because the whole world is a stage. Instead of being present to a moment with my kids, I tried to use the moment to create a message about who I was as a dad. Don't do that. It's dumb. Hit pause before you publish. Don't perform for strangers you'll never meet. Be present for the people you're actually with. Trying to look good on the internet. It's anxiety. Because it is a beast that just needs to constantly be fed. And you feel that anxiety. So I'm going to take you from a uh, a 2015 blogger to a 19th century Danish philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard. And this is what he says. No grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety. No grand inquisitor has in readiness such terrible tortures as anxiety. And it is, isn't it? It just eats at your gut. And it is horrible. So we all deal with it. And Jesus knew the people that he was talking to. He says, you know what? They deal with it. And he says, guess what? We deal with it today 
in the 21st century. So I want you to have your Bibles open, and we're going to read through this passage. It starts in the 25th verse. Starting in the 25th verse, it says this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, if you take a look in verse 25, it starts with the word, therefore. You always heard to say, whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask yourself, what is it there for? And it's there because of what happened before it. And that's in verse 24. And in verse 24, it says, you got to choose who you will serve. Which master will you serve? Will you serve possessions or the things of this world? Or will you serve God? And he's assuming in here that you are going to serve God. And when we serve God, it means that, that we're not going to be preoccupied with our own security, but we're going to be more preoccupied with the things of God and with his reign and rule in his life. He says, okay, so then, since you've chosen that master, I'm telling you, don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be preoccupied. And what he says in here as he gets down into the meat of the passage is that the root of self-centered worry is a lack of trust in God. The root of self-centered worry is a lack of trust in God. Now, there are some things that we worry about and are concerned about that really in Scripture you would think would say it's okay. It's like worried about the, the spiritual health of other people. The Apostle Paul talked about this. He says, I'm in anxiety over the church. And when someone falls, I, I, it makes me mad. When someone's weak, I hurt for them. We should also be concerned about our own spiritual lives and about the incessant temptations to sin. But what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about self-centered worry, self-centered worry, and it is rooted in a lack of trust in God, where we just don't trust him as much as we should. So I'm going to give you a couple things there. I'm going to give you some foundational principles, and then we're going to close out with giving you some antidote to anxiety. Number one, foundational principles. You are valuable to God. You are valuable to God. And what Jesus does is he argues his case and he goes from the greater to the lesser. What he says is God has given you life. That's the great thing. God has given you a body. That's the huge thing. And in essence, he's saying if God who has created you and who loves you, he will also take care of you. And if he will do the main thing, the big thing and create you, he will take care of the lesser things. And that is he will meet your needs. And so he's going to provide those lesser things. He says, let me give you some examples. The first thing he talked about was the birds of the air. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, you know, they don't work. They're not storing up for the future. But he says, you know, they don't go hungry. 
God cares for them. They don't worry about worm production. Uh, they don't worry about, uh, am I setting up enough uh, for in case something happens six months down the road? He said, they just go through life, and yet God takes care of them. Now, some people will read these verses and say, hey, God says we can be lazy. That's not it at all. There's nowhere in this passage, I just want to just like stepping out to the side to let you know that there's nowhere in this passage that says it gives us an excuse to be lazy or not have forethought. Yeah, there are too many things in Scripture. You know, whatever you do, do your work hardly as for the Lord rather than for man. Uh, don't be a sluggard, as it says in Proverbs, but the, it talks about the value of hard work. We're going to have hard work. We are to plan things out. We're to have forethought. Jesus says, hey, before somebody builds a building, they count the cost. Before someone goes to war, they count the cost. Before someone follows me, they count the cost. So forethought, planning is important. But in this passage, he's saying, look at the birds of the air. He said, the birds of the air, they're not not toiling and, and, and worrying about all these things, and God takes care of them. Are you not more valuable than the birds? And then he comes and says, look at yourself. He says, and when you look at yourself in verse 27, he says, by you being anxious, can you add a single hour to your span of life? That translation, that single hour and span of life, it can be translated either that you can't add a cubit to your height, which is 18 inches, Or it can be translated, you can't add an hour to your life. Either way, it's saying the same thing. You can worry, 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 but worrying is not going to make you taller. You can worry, 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 and you're not going to be able to add an hour to your life. In fact, just the opposite will probably take away some time from your life. So he says, you can't do anything like that. And then he comes back to the flowers of the field. And in the flowers of the field, he says, why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They grow, they neither toil nor they spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? He says, look at the flowers. He says, they're just beautiful. Their texture, their setup, uh, everything about them. And they're just so beautiful right there. And God takes care of them. And you know what's going to happen to those flowers? People are going to walk over them. People are going to pick them up in the common. People are going to throw them in their ovens and use them uh, to heat up stuff. And they're just going to burn them up. And he said, if God takes care of the flowers, they're just going to be trampled upon and then be heated up in an oven, would he not care more for you? If God takes care of the birds, will he not take more care of you? He keeps coming back down to, do you really trust God or not? And and the main point is that you are valuable to God. And I think what Jesus is doing, he's just driving this point home to his listeners and to us today. Listen, you are valuable to God. You are valuable to him. And see, when we think about our value, we realize that the one that created us made us just the way that we are, and he loves you. And he says, you're more valuable than any part of creation. And he loves you for who you are. And he accepts you just as you are. You don't have to touch up a photo for him to think that you're valuable. You don't have to create a false persona for God to accept you. You don't have to make believe that you're cool or have it all together for God to love you. That's the incredible thing. Because you're valuable... God loves you just like you are, and God will accept you just like you are. He created you, and in the words of Ethel Waters, that jazz and gospel singer, who her life was a result of a teenager who was raped, and then as she grew up and became this jazz gospel singer, she made that famous statement, and she says, I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. God don't make no junk. He doesn't. 
And when he created you, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter if you sit there and say, I wish I was taller, wish I was thinner, uh, wish I was faster, wish I was smarter, all those type of things. Listen, God created you as you are, and he loves you. And he loves you just like that. And then as we go through life, we make those choices. We make choices as, do I want to uh, increase my knowledge or do I want to uh, increase how I, how, I, how I feel physically and all those things. Those are just choices that you make. Whichever direction you go, God loves you. He loves you just as you are. And what is so sad in today's world that we're getting false information. We're getting bombarded by all these false pictures and images and stories and everything. And we think that that's the way we have to be. And God says, no. You are valuable just as you are. And he says, don't worry about all this stuff in life. He says, because you are valuable. Number two is God knows what you need. Isn't this great? God knows exactly what you need. He says at the end of verse 32, he says, the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So when you're sitting there feeling sorry for yourself or worrying about something, don't say, gosh, God, if you just only knew, he does know. And if he takes care of creation, how much is he going to take care of you? He knows exactly what you need. It doesn't say everything that you want. It says everything that you need. And you see, that could be the root of your anxiety because it's more of those wants that you have. And those wants may be more self-centered than really what you truly need. And so remember, the root of self-centered worry is a lack of trust in God. And what God is telling you, he says, I will provide you everything that you need. I care for you. You're valuable. I know exactly what you need. I will provide for you. You don't need to worry about it. You don't need to be anxious. Number three, God calls you to a higher lifestyle than worrying about material things. God calls you to a higher lifestyle than worrying about material things. Listen, not only are you valuable, but when you become a part of the kingdom of God, when you become a citizen of the kingdom, you're a representative of him. You're an ambassador for Christ. And he says in verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. You know, what am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? How how good am I going to look here? I'm going to do all that. And he says, they are just full with anxiety. Their whole view of life is so wrapped up in all those possessions and stuff. He says, you don't need to be that way. Your life needs to be different. You see, what you need to do is you need to have a higher purpose than just to worry about these things that are materialistic. And it needs to be written all over you. And the way your attitude is and the way you talk and the way you handle situations, they all need to be different. Your worries must not sound like the worries of the world. When the Christian faces the uncertainty of a doctor's report, she should sound different than the non-believer who's sitting in the next room. When a Christian is short of money, even for the essentials, does he complain with the same tone, the same words, the same attitude as those around him? There should be a difference. We're all going to have troubles. Nothing in here says God doesn't say, hey, you're so valuable to me. When you come in the world, you'll never have trouble. No, you're going to have troubles. We're all going to have troubles. And the person who's a non-believer is going to have some of the same troubles that we're going to have as believers. The question is, how do we respond to that? And they're going to be tied up in knots, and they're going to be worried and anxious about it. And the question is, how do we respond to that? Are we going to be tied up and anxious and worried? Or is there going to be something different? Are we going to be able to see that and we're going to be able to seek God first? And when we do that, begin to get a peace about it in our heart that is different from theirs so that when people see us, it's almost as if we've got written across our forehead, made by the kingdom of God. You are a kingdom citizen. 
And if we're kingdom citizens, we got to live like kingdom citizens. And one of the things that Jesus talked about is the anxiety and the anxieties and the worries of life. He says, let's just be different than those who are not believers. Our conduct should be stamped all over it, made in the kingdom of God. But then number four is don't waste energy about being anxious about the future. Don't waste energy about being anxious about the future. I would love to be able to plug myself up to a machine that could measure how much energy I have wasted about worrying about the future. And if I could have one of those machines, I would pay extra money to get the second machine. And what the second machine would be plugged up and it said, how many of these things never came about? How much did you worry about? And how much of what you worried about really never came about? How much energy did you expend over here worrying and worrying and worrying about something that never happened? Now, I remember somebody did a study, I remember years ago, and it says 90% of everything that you worried about never came about. That caused me to worry because I couldn't figure out where he figured that out, okay? How do you know that? You know, how do you know that 90%? I mean, I mean that was, looked like a fun study, I guess. It's a great preaching point. Uh, I just don't know if you can stand behind it. But there is a lot of truth to it. Like if we walk back through your life and just, hey, just walk back through this, this, this past year, as you're getting close to the end of this year, just why don't you list the main things you worried about throughout the year? How many of those things happened? Did the atomic bomb hit your house? No, you're not worried about that in February. Uh, oh, I thought that was going to happen. You know, there are things that we worry about that just began to eat at us. And uh, what Jesus says in verse 34 is just a great passage. He says, don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. When he says that tomorrow will be anxious for itself, what that means is don't worry about the future. In the future, you're going to have trouble. It's unavoidable. It's futile to try to live a problem-free life. You can spend all of your time and all of your energy fortifying your castle of life, but there's always a place that will go unguarded. I'm fascinated with castles. I just love them. There's a part of me that would love to be transported back in time and be the guy in the castle up on the hills. And had opportunity to travel and see some of these. And, and I, would, I would walk in them and I'd walk around them. And I'd always say, my first comment is, how in the world did anybody ever get through the fortress and, uh, and take over this castle? This is incredible. You can stand up here and you can see everything. And they had all kind of lines of defense and everything. But whenever they tell the story... They always will come back where there was one area to where the people broke through and were able to get into the castle. And they took down the castle. Listen, it's good for us to kind of build our lives and build our strengths. And we want to have our castles, but we need to understand that they are not totally unguarded. Trouble will come into our life. No matter how much we try to keep it from happening, trouble will come. So tomorrow will have its challenges. Tomorrow will have its trials. No matter how hard you try to prevent them, we are not to be worrying about tomorrow. And this is a great statement that I read. It says, worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials, but it will sabotage our strength today. Worry will not destroy tomorrow's trials, but it will sabotage our strength today. You can try to walk through today and be paralyzed by tomorrow. 
Because you're so worried about tomorrow, it will just suck the joy out of you, suck the strength out of, strength out of you, because you're so worried about tomorrow. Well, since you're so worried about tomorrow, it means that I've got the burdens of today and the burdens of tomorrow, and they're sitting on each other. George McDonald says, no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It's when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. We do not have the strength. We do not have the strength to hold up the worries of today and tomorrow. In the scripture, it says that God will give us the strength to handle the things of today. You know, there's nothing in the scripture that says God will help you to handle the strength of worrying about tomorrow. It doesn't say anything about that. He says, we're not to be anxious for tomorrow. We are not to be worried about the things of tomorrow. You cannot bear today's burdens and tomorrow's burdens at the same time. And as I was doing my research, I read through and I saw this sentence and I kept coming back to it. I missed it at first and then I really had to think about it. Look what it says. Some of you have suffered much more in this world than has happened to you. Let it digest it. Some of you have suffered much more in this world than has happened to you. What that means, you think about what you've gone through, you have suffered so much more. You know, this much stuff has happened to you. But what happened is you worried about this much. And because you worried about this much, you suffered through all the anxiety, all the worry, all the things it did to your health, everything else. But you see, you've suffered a whole lot much more now because of things that really never happened to you. All right? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Let's don't focus our fears on tomorrow. Okay? So how do we overcome this? Overcoming anxiety. Here's the antidote that Jesus gives us. And he gives us in Matthew 6.33. I remember telling y'all when I was real young, vacation Bible school and vacation Bible school, it was back when it was two weeks. Can you believe those martyrs for the faith that, uh, uh, that worked in Bible school for two solid weeks? <laughs> My goodness. It was two weeks. And, and what they do is, is uh, we use really high-priced stuff. We had uh, little like mason jars and butter beans. And, uh, and whenever you'd memorize a verse of scripture, you get a bean in your jar. Okay. And, uh, you know, today in Bible school, you bring back like, uh, an F 50 fighter or something that you built in vacation Bible school. And what we brought home was a jar with some beans in it and said, Hey, I memorized 10 verses. But, but one of those beans in the jar was Matthew six thirty three, and always stay with me, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So when you look at this, at this antidote for anxiety, it is seek first God's rule in your life. And when he's talking about seek, it's an unceasing quest. It's not a, hey, I made that decision for Christ when I was eight years old. No, I, I rededicated my life at 15 at student camp. No, it is daily seeking. It's a quest. It's a consuming ambition for God's reign and rule to be in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first I think it, I was thinking it was maybe John Piper, someone wrote, and he says, we're quick to Facebook and slow to God. We are quick to Facebook and slow to God. What is the first thing that comes up in your life? The first thing in your morning, what's the first thing that you do? Sad to say, most of us go to our phone and look and see what have we missed? What has somebody said? Some people go to their social media sites and say, what has someone said about me? If somebody agreed with something, they'd like a comment I said. Ooh, I posted that comment. Is it sweet? Is it good? Do you like me? Did you not? Was my hair cute? Did you not like that outfit? Oh, my goodness. Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. And, and that's how you start your day. And then what happens is how we start our day usually affects how we go through the rest of our day. 
So why would we start with Facebook when we could start with God? And whatever we focus our hearts on first in the morning will shape our entire day. Seek first the kingdom of God. So something very easy that every one of us could do is just to make the decision that when I get up in the morning, the first thing I do is not take a look at my phone. Maybe the first thing that I do is have moments with God. Read a devotional, read some scripture, have a time of prayer, fill my heart and mind with him. Then go to the phone and then catch up on the things that are happening in the world. Our desire is that the reign of Christ will start with ourselves and then continue with every department in our life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the reign and rule of God in my life. That means, Lord, that when you come into my life, I seek you first. That means that's going to affect me, affect me in my job, affect me as a pastor, affect you as a business person, affect you as a student. It means it's going to affect my marriage. It's going to affect how I treat my my children. It affects how I'm going to treat those that are in my business. It affects those who are in school with me. It affects those that I come into contact with every day. It affects everything in my life, how I manage my money, my ethics, my lifestyle. Seek first the kingdom of God. He said, if you want to overcome a lot of the anxiety in life is let's just start out and let's focus on God and let's seek him first. And then it just begins to spread from there. And his righteousness. I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And whenever you think about righteousness, it means not only just the things that, um, that in my life I get right, but I then take that higher standard of righteousness and I transfer it into the community. I begin to be an influence in our community with others. I look and say, God, I want you to transform my life and transform my life so much that I will then be an influence to those around me. Wouldn't it be something incredible? Something incredible is to know that you can go and you can have an influence. Doesn't matter uh, what your position is. You could be one that is picking up trash in a school or you could be the principal of a school. You could be one that's either driving a bus or one that owns the bus line. You have an influence. Every person that you come into contact with. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I'm seeking his righteousness. I'm going to be an influence with the standard of righteousness going out into others. One of the ways to overcome anxiety is putting that focus on God take him first. Number two is this, take your eyes off yourself and do something for others. Take your eyes off yourself and do something for others. And that's what some believe it says. When you say seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, it means you take that and you begin to do things for others. Part of the question that people will ask when they read this passage, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And you read that, it says, well, God's going to meet some material needs. You say, well, there are Christians all over this place who are seeking God first, but yet they don't get their food or, or they're going through difficulties. They're not getting their basic needs met. What does that mean? And some look at that and I think make, make good sense is this as well. Probably what God does is God intends for other believers to help meet those needs. So maybe God's placing it on your heart to do something about that. We are so blessed with so much stuff. And there are others that don't have anything over here. So rather than us sitting there questioning God, God, why didn't you provide with that? I think God's tapping us on the shoulder and say, hey, I've given you plenty. Why don't you go help with that? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And one of the greatest things that whenever I am worried or anxious about whatever it may be, for me, the greatest antidote 
is to be able to take my eyes off of Danny Wood and his situation and go put my eyes on someone else in some needy situation and go by and help them and invest some time or resources or whatever and say, let me see how I can, how I can help you. It's amazing. Because when you get back home, you'll sit there and say, you know, I haven't been thinking about that concern, that worry, that problem all day. I wonder why. It's because I've had focused my eyes on something else and working with someone else on there. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so that's what Jesus said. And just as we close up, I'm going to give you just some things throughout Scripture. John 16, 33. Remember that Jesus has overcome the world. If we want to try to get a handle on this anxiety, we need to remember that Jesus has overcome the world. As he told his disciples right before he was getting ready to go to the cross, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Let the world, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The opposite of anxiety is peace. He says, you want to have peace? He says, I have overcome the world. And so as you're walking through your day, no matter how many times you get blindsided, knocked over, things that you may be worrying about, I think it's very comforting to realize, you know what? Jesus said this is going to happen. But guess what Jesus said? Hey, Danny, I've overcome the world. All right? I have overcome the world. And then last of all, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Turn to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. Anybody, all of us that struggle with any kind of anxiety, this is your go-to passage, okay? Philippians chapter 4. And you want to have this ready. And it says two main things. Number one, pray about everything. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made to know to God. I think it's the living Bible that says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. About as succinct as you can get. Don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Very first thing I told you, seek first the kingdom of God. What does he say here? When you're anxious, what's the first thing you're supposed to do? In everything by prayer and supplication, take it to God. So you pray about everything. There will be some worries and concerns. I'm not, there's nothing in the Bible that says that we are guaranteed to have a joyful, effervescent, uh, trouble-free life when you become a Christian. Not at all. We get knocked down like everybody else does. We have worries. We have concerns. We have anxieties. The difference is, is that our God has said, I've got an antidote for you. And so I want you to pray about everything. I want you to take what those worries are. And the great thing about praying about that is when you pray about the worries, you began to better formulate and understand exactly what it is I'm worrying about. And talk to God about it. Pray about it. Lift it up to him, okay? And then the last thing is to reflect on the things that are excellent and wholesome. You say, really? Is this just like the power of positive thinking? No, this is Paul writing in the Philippians. Uh, he says in verse 7 that the peace of God will surpass all understanding. He's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Well, why? Verse 9, because what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. When you are getting knocked down by anxiety, what do you want more than anything else? You want peace. And he says, reflect on these things that are excellent. 
If you sit there and constantly think about the, your worries, your concerns, and you let it consume you, it becomes a cancer that just begins to take over you, he says, that's not good. He says, look at these things that are commendable, these things that are excellent. He's not saying at all that you just pretend like it's not there. He's saying, it is there, let's pray about it, and then let's put our focus on other things. And let's think about these things and let's talk to God about these things. And he says, and what God says is that if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto you. He says, then I think we can, we can begin to relieve that anxiety and begin to relieve that worry and then allow you to live out the life that God has called you to live. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first. And his righteousness, he said, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Let me ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes for just a moment. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is so clear. And uh, Lord, you created us and you know us. And you know we're going to worry. You know there are going to be difficult things that are going to come into our lives. We're going to be blindsided on some things. We are going to have fears that will be creeping up. And I thank you that your word gives us some antidotes, some ways that we can handle those. And so I pray for each one of us today that we will feel strengthened by understanding what your message has said, what your word has said. And may we apply these things. And Father, may we, in our walk with you, come to the point where we can be honest to you and with you with the things that cause us the greatest fear and the greatest worry. Lord, help us to open up our hearts and to bring those to you. And then, Lord, I want to pray something special for each person here, and I pray that you would help open their eyes to see others around them who have needs. And I think that it's just a lie of Satan that he wants to shackle us with fear, anxiety, and worry so that all we do is just think about ourselves, our situation, and don't use the gifts you've given us to help a hurting humanity. This week, for every person here, open their eyes. May somebody cross their path that you bring to their mind that needs some help. It may not be financial. It may just somebody just needs you to go sit 30 minutes, talk to them in the hospital, go to the nursing home, sit in their cubicle, and just be there to listen to them. But Lord, help us to be able to be used by you and not to be shackled by worry and anxiety. I thank you, Lord, that your son, Jesus Christ, has overcome the world. And because of that, we can have peace. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.